right, so was this all a dream? Because I feel like we had been doing podcasts for the better part of a month under a different banner, but now I understand that this is like a relaunch, a rebirth, a renaissance, if you will, of something called the VanCast. And look, I should point this out right away that uh, this is not being done from the back of a minivan. Nor is it, and I found out the hard way, that we've got some competition in this space because there is another van cast that exists out there done by a guy that lives in a van and it's about that lifestyle. So if you're checking us out and you're expecting to find out about the latest of, you know, living in your van in small spaces and those... No, this is a hockey podcast devoted to Vancouver's professional hockey club, are we allowed to? Like, I'm confused in all of this. Are we allowed to use their name? <laughs> no, they're they're the Vancouver Professional Hockey Club, at least for the confines of this episode. Uh, you know, just to be completely transparent with how this all went down, because I, I think we owe our listeners that. You know, the Canucks approached us and gently asked us, or politely asked us, um, to change the name. And, you know, we ran it up the flagpole at HQ and ultimately it was decided over the course of a weekend that, you know, we didn't have the appetite to really challenge that or, you know, sort of risk uh, a burgeoning relationship, uh, as it were, on, you know, something that we never cared about. I mean, that's the other thing that I want our listeners to understand. We essentially sent each other lists of names as we were sort of trying to figure out what the name of our podcast should be. And, you know, we had some suggestions. The only one I really liked was Fighting Hartley, but Jeff turned that one down. Uh, my preferred formulation for the Nux cast was Drancer and J-Pat do a Nux cast, which Jeff was having none of. And ultimately, we were going back and forth, and you kind of got persnickety, as it were, and threw your hands up and said, that's enough. The name does not matter. We don't care at all. The content is king. All that people will care about is what it's called. That's why people came to the PatCast. That's why people are willing to, you know, live and die with a column called the Athletes, right? So we ultimately decided that, you know, the Nuxcast with Drancer and J-Pat was a goofy title. We didn't care about it. And I never cared about it until the moment the Canucks said, hey, we think you should change that. And all of a sudden I was like, no, that's our name. No, uh, very seriously, we, we were happy to change it. VanCast, we came up with that about a month ago. For some reason, there was a delay in getting the creative done for the artwork. So that new, you know, van cast banner you see, complicated. It took about a month, and then that kind of delayed our change. And then, of course, we rebrand on the same day uh, that the rights holder launches their po- their new podcast. So, um, you know, the, the look is funny, but ultimately this is a pretty straightforward sort of sequence of events. And, you know, one that I don't think we're too... Uh, plussed about, aside from the fact that we wish we could have made the change a month ago. Yeah, I mean, it, it takes me back to the moment that Botch and I got into it over the title of The Athletes, and I still thought, you know, in, I thought it was a dumb name then. I, But, <laughs> like, my point always was that the name didn't matter. Like, it was, you knew exactly what you were getting. You could have called it anything. Just serve me up the content, and he did, and hopefully we will continue to do that here. I'm uh, just going to take a little mental gymnastics to make sure that I don't call it the Nuxcast or not sack or anything else it is now the van cast moving forward and one of the things that we wanted to do but we wanted to wait until we got the launch and the new name and the rebranding and everything else was you know at least once a month open it up to you our listeners i mean that's the reason we do this and so uh, we wanted to 
get the mailbag going and get a Q&A going and respond to a lot of the questions because sure we can sit here and break down the hockey team and we will continue to do that but you know in an effort to be well-rounded podcast hosts you know we just decided to kind of branch out a little bit not that this is terribly uh, original we're not the only people in the world that do a mailbag but we know that you've got great questions you've got great ideas and so we thought let's put the question to you and in response you have uh, brought the questions to us so without further ado this is going to be basically a listener's mailbag edition of the VanCast, and we'll continue to do that sort of on a monthly basis here going forward. Yeah, and obviously we couldn't have introduced a mailbag while we were still called the Nutsack. The Nutsack bag would have been a little bit too heavy-handed, so we really had to wait for the rebrand before dipping into our bag, as it were. Yeah, that's artwork that I don't think anybody (laughs) wanted or needed to see, but you're going to be the man with the mailbag. I've got the microphone here, so without further ado let's get uh, right to it because we did uh, we solicited questions and we got a lot of great ones absolutely let's start with uh, one from honey ribs that's ribs with two s's uh, in case you want to follow them on twitter what flavor do you like your gum comma asking for a friend at patterson jeff Jeff, what type of gum do you like? Really? We're starting there? <laughs> We're starting because there. it seems to me your boy has been stuck on four for, well, going on a week and then some now. So I'm feeling back like I'm back in this battle. Uh, but look, I, I think I mentioned it on an earlier podcast, one that may have had a different name, in fact, uh, that I'm a, a winto green kind of guy. Like I, I like a good lifesaver that's winto green. I like peppermint, spearmint, like down that... You can keep the cinnamon and any other kind of flavors. I'm more in the mint realm, if you will. 100%. I agree with you. Wrigley's Spearmint is my go-to, my absolute favorite, though I still have so much of a backlog of that like Winter 5 gum that I've been carrying about uh, just because I used to be able to steal two or three packets every time I got off the team plane. And let me just say, on the topic of gum, like the Chicago Blackhawks, they've got the Stanley Cups from the last decade. They are the Stanley Cup champs of gum inventory, too. Like, the Canucks have this drawer that everybody knows about. You can go and dip in in the locker room. It's not a secret. It's their stash. But the Hawks, like, it was up front. It was there. It was colorful. It was the variety pack. Like, you name it. If you needed a piece of gum, the Blackhawks locker room is the place to be. I was stunned by that. It was awesome. You were drooling. Is I, what was, you were- I was. I was like, could I take three? <laughs> So a question from Bailey Broadcast or Bailey Broadbent. How sustainable is the hot start for the Myers-Edler pairing? Well, I found just the person that can answer this because he wrote about this extensively (laughs) uh, at The Athletic. And I read it and it's fascinating and the underlying numbers certainly are there. I'll let you get into some more detail. Uh, Quite frankly, Tyler Myers has been one of the pleasant surprises. I mean, there have been a ton of good stories around the Vancouver Canucks, but I have to admit that I had kind of bought in that, you know, he was going to bring a little bit of offense, but you would have to live with some defensive miscues to benefit from the offensive side. I thought the concern would be in his own zone. And yeah, I mean, there have been a blip here and there in Calgary in the second game of the season. And there was a giveaway the other night against the St. Louis Blues. But I mean, that is so minor compared to uh, the overarching benefit of Tan, or rather of uh, Edler and Myers since day one at training camp. I mean, it was so clear that the organization wanted to lock that in early. And as you pointed out in your piece, I mean, they have been exceptional. They have. And, and it's amazing how 
exceptional they've been relative to how every other sort of defense pair has changed the environment for their team across the entire league in terms of facilitating some of that offense that has really been Vancouver's bread and butter here through the first 15 games of the season. And, you know, while I think we would have expected a Myers-Edler pair to maybe be a bit more impactful on the offensive end than the defensive end, the rate at which the Canucks are out attempting and out shooting opponents with that pair on the ice. Um, you know, this isn't ultimately hockey, it isn't ultimately a game of raw numbers. I mean, you know, you never want to allow five against, but it's okay if you score six. And ultimately, you know, the what the what they're doing, how they're changing the way that this team controls play when they're on the ice, um, you know, I've been saying it's the quiet backbone of their hot start, and, and I really do believe that. I think they've been a key part of this offensive attack, even though the offensive production hasn't necessarily been there. My concern with those two right now is Alex Edler's obsession with penalty boxes around the National Hockey League and this sort of uh, self-prescribed load management of his. That's where he's getting his break. I mean, he still he took three penalties the other night and still led the Canucks in ice time. And you do wonder with a heavy schedule and just how quick the game is and at 33 and his role, it's just something to keep an eye on because as we sit here and record this ahead of the game in Chicago, I mean, Alex Edler leads the NHL in minor penalties taken. That's not a crown that you necessarily want to wear. Absolutely. All right. On to the next question from VTrain365. We know Pedersen is destined for superstardom. Which other forward, and I assume they mean Canucks forward, has the ability to take their game to the next level in the next two to three years when the Canucks are cup contenders? I guess for me, I still think there's room for growth in Bo Horvat's game. Um, you know, to be really one of the elite sort of second-line centers, two-way, 200-foot guys, uh, you wonder if he can get himself into the conversation that, you know, Ryan Kessler ultimately did when the Canucks were at their, their peak, and, you know, there's some hardware there for, you know, top defensive forward. Um, it's been a weird start, and I know you've talked about it and written about it too, and it's kind of because there's been so much good and they win uh, way more than they lose, it's sort of been underreported. But, you know, Bo's five-on-five play in that, play of his line and it still seems like that's an ongoing search uh, for them to get it just right and I think there's a lot more for him individually and that line to give at even strength but look the team's winning he's producing on the power play it may become a bigger issue than it is right here right now but I, I guess when I look at the lineup I Horvat would be the guy that jumps out at me yeah I think that there's really an only only a reasonable argument for three forwards in my view and, and one's put Colson who's not even in the NHL uh, one is Horvat and the other would be Brock Besser and, and for my money I'll take Besser in terms of having the best shot when I look at and I'm gonna write about this this week so I don't want to scoop it too much but when you look at the consistency with which Besser puts three shots on net right and they're good shots uh, when you look at the consistency of his slightly above average but not significantly above average shooting percentage right he's just a 13 to 14 and a half percent guy and he takes three shots a game and he manufactures those shots at a high volume but without being a guy with no conscience and hunging the sorry excuse me and hucking them at the net from all angles and you know that's the profile of a guy who can be without a break like without a bounce a, a 35 goal scorer and if the bounces go his way over a over a full year or over a year or two I mean he can put up some truly crooked numbers uh, when you have a guy or a sniper who profiles that way does it with volume doesn't rely on percentages and you pair him with a guy who 
changes the entire gravity of the game like we've seen Pedersen do and, and a guy who I'd be willing to bet a farm uh, on, you know, sort of having an on-ice shooting percentage that's well elevated above league average over the course of the next five years, you know, I think you're really cooking with gas. So I think Besser can be among the league's most consistent goal scorers uh, over the next few years. And, and what an excellent prospect, not just for the Canucks, but for him having signed a bridge contract. It's kind of funny. I mean, the way the question was couched, I mean, the answer probably is Patterson himself may have the most room for growth still, which is just saying so much because, again, he's, you know, he's – taking his game to another level. I know you wrote about that not that long ago as well, but it's just, it's going to be such a fun ride to watch uh, where this guy's career can take him. All right. From Brockerson, and that's two S's in Brockerson. Can you guys go in depth on JT Miller? I want to know more about the guy, what, what he's like in the room. What kind of impression has he had on the young group? Any behind the scenes tidbits you can share about him that you've seen, etc. Hashtag VanCast. Uh, well, I thought he was terrific the other night against St. Louis, even though he didn't figure in the goal scoring. He had an assist on the lone goal that the Canucks did score. And he made that great play in the first period where he banked the puck, like the 25-foot bank pass off the boards. Like I hadn't seen that one, but I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, look, he's been a great addition. We've talked an awful lot about him. Uh, Behind-the-scenes stuff, I thought this was interesting, and I haven't followed up with him, but I want to. Uh, at a recent practice, he stayed out. We're talking about practice, I know. But uh, he stayed out after the group. And had he was putting Jake Vertanen and Troy Stetcher through drills, essentially. Like, after practice, he kind of putting on an assistant coach's hat, which is an aside because none of the Canucks assistant coaches wear hats, which is a completely – that's for another day. Um, I think they might be the only coaching staff in the NHL that don't wear ball caps at practice. But uh, I want to follow up on that because I'm not sure what that was about, but – just this idea of a veteran guy, even though he's not old, I mean, he is a veteran. He's coming from a, a very good Tampa program and pulled these two guys aside and spent some time with them. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, apparently, Brian Burke had some issues with his performance, which is one of the kind of craziest quotes of the early going here in the hockey season. Uh, he wanted him to be more physical. The guy led, and as Travis Green said, that was a big boy game. And he led the big boy game with eight hits the other night and probably had the hit of the night when he absolutely steamrolled Ryan O'Reilly. So I'm not sure where that was coming from, but uh, look, the guy's been a terrific addition, and uh, you know, I, I don't know if you have any other tidbits to add from behind the scenes, but uh, you know, JT Miller's been a nice pickup for the Canucks so far. Absolutely. I'll, I'll just say that, to me, JT Miller strikes me as a you know, kid who's you know, from a relatively small town. He, he likes the outdoors. He's, a very, he's very serious about you know, his craft, and, and he has a very exhaustive, from what I understand, pregame workout, right? Like he's a very sort of high work rate guy, not just on the ice, but off of it. And, you know, he's a very unique sort of player. He's got this weird dramatic curve in his stick, which not only sort of enables him to do his weird face-off move, but also, uh, you know, is something that he uses to shoot. And Ryan O'Reilly, who has probably the most dramatic curve, you know, to come back to the guy JT Miller tagged, uh, you know, who has probably, he has a curve that other NHL players look at and describe as gross, right, on a regular basis. Like, how does he play with that? And O'Reilly is conscious of his curve to the point where he says that he shoots and he handles the puck using mostly the, the heel of his stick. Uh, JT Miller's not conscious of what he uses or not. He's just, you know, figures he doesn't play that much of the game with the puck on his stick and the curve helps him shoot and he doesn't really think about it. Uh, but 
you know, there's just a lot of sort of unique little traits that JT Miller has that sort of add up to this valuable piece who's been, you know, a genuine top of the lineup option for the Canucks this season. Just back to O'Reilly for a sec, because you mentioned that when we were in St. Louis. And so as I was leaving the Blues locker room and the stick rack was there, I took a sec and took a peek. And it really is unique to the National Hockey League. I mean, for me, the best way to describe it, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but, you know, if you just take a standard hockey stick with a curve and then about three inches from the end, there's like a bend in the stick, essentially. Like it's kind of crooked at the tip of the stick. Uh, he's got it working for him. I mean, he's become such a, a terrific player. Obviously, he got the Stanley Cup to prove it there last year. But it really is to see. It's, it's just unlike anything else that you'd find in a stick rack around a National Hockey League locker room. It's, uh, it's very dramatic. All right, I want to ask two questions as a group. The first question is from Sweet Pete. And he asks, is this the year Jim Benning finally wins GM of the Year? Hashtag VanCast. It's followed up by a question from Dental Damnation on a similar subject. He asks, Vancouver has had a Calder candidate three years in a row now and one last year. How can a GM pull that off and still have people calling for him to be fired in this fan base? Head exploding emoji. All right. Well, they don't give out hard war at the 15 game mark. It is a long season. You're probably tired of hearing that, but... You know, let's see how this year plays out. It's a nice start. Jim Benning's work is paying off. Uh, obviously, there have been four dark seasons here. I mean, there are some who would say it's about bloody time. Uh, you know, finally, they're seeing the payoff from the draft and the core four. Uh, but, look, there's other good teams around the National Hockey League. I mean, the St. Louis Blues win the Stanley Cup. They lose Vladimir Tarasenko, and I'm not sure that anybody's playing better than they are right here, right now. You know, I think we always look with these kind of awards at – you know, the, the misfits and who has made the most progress. And sometimes I think you, you have to look at the top end. Like, I always think good coaches of good teams probably don't get their due when it comes to coach of the year because people want to see a guy that's taken a team that wasn't supposed to do anything and get it to the middle of the pack where it's not easy to keep a good team at the top, especially when you lose a star player. So, you know, just keep that in mind. I mean, the Boston Bruins, that's a remarkable story and the start they're off to. So, you know, it's never as simple as, oh, this guy should be general manager of the year. Let's see how the season plays out. But the Vancouver Canucks are off to a terrific start, you know, in large part to the bodies that the Canucks have assembled, and that's Jim Benning's job, obviously. The overhaul of the defense right now looks like a masterstroke, but it had to be done, too. I mean, there was just no way they could come back with the same defensive group, and, you know, we witnessed that last year, and so, I mean, it's good to see that this group is learning and acting on some areas that had to be improved, and, you know, we just talked about JT Miller. The jury's going to be out on that trade, but right now, JT Miller is paying dividends for the Vancouver Canucks, so... Uh, look, there are still some cap issues. There have been some July 1sts here in recent years that weren't Jim Benning's finest work. And, you know, he's not going to be based, the uh, general manager of the year isn't going to be based on what happened in free agency the last couple of years, but every dollar counts. And we know that there are some huge contracts to come for Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. And so uh, it's impossible to ignore uh, the cap situation that they are in as well. And I think that's where, you know, the detractors will still point to on a regular basis until the Canucks get their fiscal house completely in order. Absolutely. The cap is, you know, ground zero for this question, right? Because, you know, you look at what a team like Toronto, for example, had to deal with this offseason or a team like Tampa Bay and some of the difficult choices that you face when you're right up against the cap fitting in, 
you know, an elite core of talent. And, you know, the Canucks were pressed up against it with a team that looks like they may be able to make a jump from being, you know, well out of the picture to being on potentially even being a playoff team. And so, you know, if they make that jump, credit to Jim Benning, but the the trick is taking that next step and doing it, you know, in a, a responsible and sustainable way. And that's where the money is really made. I mean, that's the hard, much harder step to, to sort of take. So, yeah, I think jury's out, and uh, I don't think anyone would be surprised that Jim hasn't, to this point, garnered serious consideration. If the Canucks keep this up, if the Canucks end up, you know, finishing – uh, the season as strongly as they've started it, I suspect you know there's a chance that he could be in that conversation. For now, it's a little premature, and uh, even if they do keep it up, there's going to be some really strong candidates. Uh, you know, Jason Botterill among them, and uh, and there's a variety of others who will merit you know strong consideration. And, and I do think that you know should a team like Tampa or Toronto turn it around, especially considering what they dealt with vis-a-vis uh, -vis the cap. You know, I do think guys like Brisbois and Dubis should probably be considered just because I think those tight, rop, tight ropes that you have to walk when you're really up against it in terms of allocation, super difficult. All right. Oh, oh I was just going to say, we're rolling here on this VanCast. This is incredible. It just feels like a whole new podcast <laughs> to me. Uh, amazing. Have I told you it's the VanCast yet? Uh, a couple of more questions here in the mailbag. And again, we'll continue to do this as the season goes along because uh, I like the questions that we're getting here. But we've got time for uh, a few more here. From Andy Per 16, best and worst road cities to visit for a media member? Uh, I mean, I, I'm a sucker for New York, and we just visited there. You can't go wrong, and the, you know, had a, basically a full day off on the Monday after they played the Devils and the Rangers. So for me, it's hard to beat New York City, uh, but there are some others. Uh, worst city? It's funny. Like, I mean, yeah, you can go with the obvious ones. I know ESPN just came out with its uh, player poll and, you know, people puke all over Winnipeg and Edmonton's an easy target. Like, in this job, you go from the airport to the hotel to the rink. Like, I, I don't get a chance to get out and explore a lot of these cities, so uh, it's hard for me to come up with a worse city. Um, Look, I'm just living the dream, loving what I'm doing, traveling around the National Hockey League, watching hockey, talking to hockey players, doing a podcast. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. I, I love New York, but uh, Toronto on a Saturday night was a ton of fun a couple of seasons ago. Uh, you know, to go into Montreal, uh, I, the list goes on and on. I will say this as an underrated city for me. I like Columbus. I, yes. I like Columbus, Ohio. I love the Arena District and what they have built there around nationwide. Like. You know, you wouldn't think of Columbus, and I'm not putting it at the top of my list, but I just, if I was asked about underrated cities, I like Columbus. Yeah, Columbus is my pick as well. I think Columbus is awesome. I always have a good time there. That sort of main strip just off the Arena District is great. There's some really good taco spots, some really cool, like, hipster places to drink uh, in and around the rink. You know, you never have to walk more than about 15 minutes uh, to get somewhere really cool. And uh, no, Columbus for me is my most underrated city. I'm going to lean into a worse city, my least favorite city. And this isn't the worst city. This is my least favorite city to visit is St. Louis. And, you know, I didn't, I, it's tough to get to from the West Coast, uh, which doesn't help matters, right? It's a full day to travel there if the road trip starts there. Um, you know, there are a few things that I find charming about it. It's not without, you know, merit. And I certainly enjoy seeing, you know, some of our St. Louis pals, Jeremy Rutherford is actually one of the best human beings in our entire business so there are things to commend it but it's my least favorite to visit in terms of my absolute favorite i'm a montreal guy i think the experience watching a game at 
Le Centre Bell is unmatched, unrivaled. I love hitting smoked meat. Um, you know, I love going out Saint Laurent, Rue Saint Catherine. I mean, Montreal for me is my uh, is the top of the heap. Nobody told me there was going to be French on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's do a lightning round real quick. Okay, these are w- questions that I think can be answered with one word. Uh, Canucks Memazar asks, if you had to trade Peter or Hughes, which one would you trade and why? Neither. Is that an acceptable answer? 100%. That's the right answer. Jose Lietletti asks, are we ready for a goalie controversy? Uh, No. That's a hard no. All right. Just enjoy the fact that this team has two goalies that are both playing well right now. Enjoy it, people. God, you can't play by the rules, can't you, J-Fan? That's a a no. (laughs) Nucklock40. Wow. Asks, is put Colson's deployment and development becoming a major issue? Are there options to liberate him from the K next year? Again, I'm going to say no. But it's certainly a situation worth monitoring, and it's unfortunate that a you know, certainly at the KHL level that he's not getting the opportunity, but uh, no, not something to worry about, I don't think, at this stage. So no. All right. Westy99 asks... Does Tim Schaller get another contract if his play is at this level all year? One word? Yes. <laughs> Did you just answer it with your one word? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, that's all I've got. Uh, the uh, let's go. Let's go one more because I found one more interesting one that I really want to get into. Um, the question is from Disco Stew. And he asks, is Levo a better option than Berchi, really? Do you want to handle that one? Sure. I, I think he is, personally. But I also think that Berchi has the track record of a player who, from my vantage point anyway, may be more useful to the club over the course of the regular season than two of the other players who are currently in the middle six and in, in Jake Vertanen and Adam Gaudet. Now, I think Vertanen and Gaudet are younger. I think they bring different things to the table potentially, both in terms of work rate and sort of grit and speed and whatnot. But, you know, based on what we've seen and what we've seen Berchi do and how we've seen Berchi complement middle six lines at the NHL level and, and do so successfully, you know, I think that at some point, the club's going to need to take a look at that as a as a real option and and you know you understand early in the season when things are good maybe you look to make upside bets and see what you have there and you can understand why the club would sort of take that long view however you know we're talking about this second line and we're talking about how they're having all this zone time but they're not translating that into goals and there's a player who we know has helped Bo Horvat accomplish that in the past who's you know going to be a healthy scratch for the fourth straight game and who was sent down and you know made this Utica Comets team a different level of club I mean I think there's a lot in Berchi's profile that suggests that he's someone who can help this team and and all of that said I think based on what we've seen Levo do and in terms of how we've seen him stabilize that third line and what we've seen him bring to the forecheck you know I still think while Berchi probably should get a shot here, especially if the middle six sort of issue or the second line issue persists in terms of goal scoring, um, you know, I don't think Levo's anywhere close to the top of the list of guys you'd see, uh, you know, him replace in the lineup. 
I think Levo's been terrific the last couple of games. Uh, was really good against the St. Louis Blues, and I think you see his value in that kind of game. Uh, and just as we wrap things up here, and this isn't a, a, you know, a listener question, but uh, that most recent game against the St. Louis Blues, you know, I just think so valuable uh, the experience that guys like Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, like you heard players who have played playoff hockey raving about the intensity level and just the feeling of you know game 15 of the regular season. It, it, you can't replicate the playoffs, but early in the season, you know, I, I know where they're coming from. And they said it had a playoff feel. The fan base was into it. Like there was a great atmosphere in the rink the other night. I just think it's totally invaluable for guys like Patterson and Hughes and even Brock Besser, who has yet to play an NHL playoff game, you know, to be a part of those types of games. Absolutely. All right, let's go one more. We've got time. This is the bonus question? This is the bonus question from Veggie Nuck. Hashtag free Troy movement about to start anytime soon. How do you evaluate his play? And they mean Troy Stetcher. Is his ice time in line with his performance? Well, we talked earlier about Edler and Myers when you have a clear-cut number one pairing and then your second pair has Quinn Hughes who has to play and Chris Tanev has been healthy. I think that's another underreported story. I mean, people just, you know, you kind of, you take it for granted, but this is a 15 game stretch for Chris Tanev who's been in the lineup. And so, you know, for Troy Stetcher, he was marked from day one as a third pair guy on this team with Jordy Ben. And, you know, the game against St. Louis, maybe not their best performance of the night, but uh, I think Stetcher is a nice insurance policy for the Vancouver Canucks to have on that right side. If and when injuries happen, they know that they've got a guy that can step up and play more. I think the frustration for him is this is a contract year, and it's damn impossible to, you know, earn your keep if you're playing 12 minutes a night and getting no special teams times. Special teams time. So I understand if there is some frustration on Troy Stetcher's part at the same time. Uh, he's a Canuck through and through, born in Richmond, grew up watching this team, wanted to play for this team, signed with this team. You know, he's not creating any waves at all. But I can understand if there is some frustration just because it's a contract year and because he has played more and I'm sure wants to play more. Absolutely. And, you know, he has shown, I mean, on a good team, he's probably a, you know, third pair guy. I mean, on a team that really has a shot to make some noise, that's kind of probably where he slots. And that said, you're not uncomfortable in the event of injury of him slotting up to a higher line over the short term. I mean, that's what a good third pair guy is. And, you know, Stetcher could be that. So, you know, we'll see how this sort of plays out here. But I think he's played fine. I think he's played okay. I don't think he's made, you know, a resounding case to be played a ton more but I do also think that it would maybe behoove the Canucks to find ways of balancing that ice time especially when they're on the road uh, especially as just a way of making sure that you know that Edler burden that's become such a significant talking point in Vancouver and for good reason uh, is managed. All right. Thank you so much for all the contributions. Good fun. We'll do it again sort of on a monthly basis as we go here on what's it called? The VanCast. Now we're going our separate ways here. After this game in Chicago, I'm going to Winnipeg. You're going to Utica. We are going to have some notes to compare when we get back together to record uh, the first NuxCast. See, I did it. You did. I got to put a quarter in the jar. <laughs> when we record the first VanCast early next week. So uh, have fun in Utica. I look forward to uh, reading your reports and catching up with you on the back end of the weekend to find out uh, I've never been. So uh, want to know all about Utica and Binghamton too. It's uh, two for one <laughs> on this road trip. So have fun with that uh, and we will catch up and do another 
VanCast next week. <laughs>